According to our Talmud in Ketubot 17a, when a funeral and a wedding procession meet and only one can pass, we always let the wedding pass first. Jewish tradition teaches that there's always plenty of grief to go around and that we need to amplify and give precedent to celebrations and joy, or frankly, if we don't, we will cease to be human beings. That's why tonight on this Shabbat of Pride, as Rabbi Rodich reminded us, we are full of blessing. We bless the accomplishments of our congregant, Dr. Jonathan Fuchs. We named a beautiful baby girl, the newest addition to our congregation, Madeline. And we welcome these two fine young men who are going to be reading from the Torah tomorrow, and they will be welcomed as the newest adult members of our congregation. And we sing songs of joy and praise on Shabbat because simply, it's a mitzvah to do so, and because we deserve joy. Tonight we also celebrate pride at how far the LGBTQ community, and I'm so old, I remember when it was just the LG, <laughs> the LG community, it was a long time ago. Um, and I, I remember coming out and thinking, like, this is a very strange club, it's women who really don't dig men and men who aren't into women, and let's put them together <laughs> and see if they can fight for their rights. Think about that, that's where it started. We, we share this pride in terms of how far we've come in equality, rights, and dignity. We also recognize, as we know today, we have so much more work to do in this country to accomplish. We have so much more work to do to ensure that our rights are not even taken away. Tonight, we also have to recognize that our country is mired in an inhumanity of the worst and lowest kind the most profound kind that perhaps we have ever experienced. This week, the unimaginable happened, and we watched children separated from their families, and then in the middle of the night, disappeared into places, places we have yet to find. On Shabbat, we are also commanded to remember that we were all strangers in a strange land. We were all refugees, and we all sought asylum in this great country of one kind or another. Whose parents or grandparents in this sanctuary did not dream a dream for you, or even walk miles for you, or sacrifice something for you to be here, for you to be free? Tonight, what's really happening in the Torah is that we are called to be witnesses to our greatest and our most precious resource, as we are every single Shabbat, our children, our gems, our stars. So this past week for solace, or for inspiration perhaps, I decided to go see the documentary, Won't You Be My Neighbor? It's the new documentary about the life of Mr. Fred Rogers, and it blew my mind to sit there as I contrasted the way that children in this country are being treated this week to what, Dr., to what Mr. Fred Rogers envisioned. Fred Rogers received the Presidential Medal of Freedom, 40 honorary degrees, and a Peabody Award. He was inducted into the Television Hall of Fame and was recognized in two congressional resolutions about children and PBS. He was ranked number 35 of the Television Guide's 50 Greatest Television Stars of All Time. Mr. Rogers! <laughs> and the Smithsonian Institution displays one of his trademark sweaters as a treasure of American history. Now, maybe some of you are too young to have remembered Mr. Rogers. But he was ordained as a Presbyterian minister. In the middle of his seminary training, a new invention was created, which was called 
television. And he recognized in a very prophetic way that it could be the most powerful pulpit in existence as it would be in every living room in the United States of America. So he left the seminary in the middle of his training in 1968 and decided to speak through that screen directly to every single child he could. His message was simple, you are beautiful, you are perfect, you are unique exactly the way that you are. He was so radical in that he spoke right to children's hearts through that screen and he fought to oppose the way that almost every other children's television show geared towards children taught them how to be competitive, mean, violent, cruel, uncaring. For many American children, his was the gentle, loving voice that came through one tiny speaker that they didn't have in their lives or in their homes. So I'm urging you, as you feel sorrow about children, to go see this documentary. It reminded me of the way that childhood could be for all children if we treated all children the way that Fred Rogers did and the way that our tradition teaches that each soul, each child has a spark of the divine walking around inside of us, all children. American children, Nicaraguan children, Mexican children, Israeli children, Palestinian children, every single child. And since I and we seem to be very focused on children, as we should, I wanted to share a few short stories about this precious resource. There is a story, a Hasidic story, that starts out with two young men carrying 24 eggs through the streets of Jerusalem just before Shabbat is about to begin from the Jewish market. And they realize Shabbat is beginning and they cannot keep carrying the eggs. And so they say to one another, what, what, what should we do? We can't carry the eggs, we just can't leave them here. Why don't we put them in an alley in a place where nobody will find them and we'll come back at the end of Shabbat and then we'll pick them back up. And so they agreed to do this and they put the eggs in an alley in a place they thought nobody would find and then they came back at the end of Shabbat in the old city of Jerusalem and they started looking for their eggs and they could find them nowhere. They had lost the eggs and they didn't really think much of it until several years later, one of the guys walked by an alley and said, that's the place where I left the eggs like three or four years ago. I wonder if they still have them. So he walked into the alley and he knocked on the door right next to where he had left the eggs. And a woman opened the door, and he said to the woman, I know this is very strange, but I left some eggs here three or four years ago. Do you have any idea what I'm talking about? And she said, yes, I do, we still have them. <laughs> and he said, what are you talking about? She said, why don't you come inside and I'll give you back your eggs. And so she brought him inside to the back where there was a courtyard, and in the courtyard there stood two cows. And he said, where are my eggs? And he said, she said, well, the eggs all hatched about three years ago and we had 24 chicks. And then the chicks became hens and roosters and we had a lot more eggs and a lot more chickens that we could handle in our courtyard and so we decided the best thing to do was to buy goats. So we bought four goats. And then you know what happens with goats? Then we had eight goats and we had a lot of goat cheese and we sold the goat cheese and we made so much money that we decided we would buy two cows. So here's your eggs. They had really taken care of the eggs so well, they turned into two cows. And the reason I tell that story in connection to children is because about 10 years ago, I was riveted by a story just like that when I was in Kanchipuram, India, on an American Jewish World Service trip with Ruth Messenger. 
And we were brought to this tiny, tiny village of Kanchipuram, which is right in the middle of where the silk industry is centered in the south of India. And it was a tragic story. Many of the children were literally sold into slavery or indentured servitude in order for their families to survive in this tiny village. And we met with the women uh, of the village, and there was a micro credit program that American Jewish World Service had afforded to these women. And the women started talking to us. These beautiful Indian women started talking to us. And I thought, this is like, these women are women who lost their children out of economic necessity. They had to sell their children into slave labor to make silk. Why did they look okay? How did they survive? And so they told us this story, how each one of the groups of women in this village had a tiny, tiny industry. One bought a cell phone, and she was the phone operator for the whole village. Another group came and said that they had bought um, a whole group of eggs that they hatched into chickens. And I said, this sounds familiar. They, and I said, so what, what did the group do with chickens? They said, finally, everybody was raising chickens in the village because it became so prosperous. And they went, and you know what they bought? They bought goats. <laughs> it's one of those things where you remind, I'm reminded of a Hasidic story, and I thought, well, this is not going to end with cows because cows are sacred in India. And so I said to them, so after the goats and milking the goats and selling the milk, and what did you do? And they said, well, we, we did sell the goats. And we said, well, what did you do when you sold the goats? What happened? And they took us over to a window, and the whole group came to the window, and they pointed down outside of the women's center to a playground. And we said, what did you do with the goats? They said, we bought back our children. And not only did they buy back the children that they had lost, but they were able to also each buy a loom. And so they took us to their homes, and in each home, the children were now working with their parents to make silk. That's story number two. Now, I had a whole other story to tell you in between, but I'm going to skip it because it's about my own kids, unless you want to hear it. I just wanted to remind people, um, because there's a lot of people in the queer community today who are young and might not remember this, but um, there, was a, there was a governor um, at the time whose name was Pete Wilson. Does anybody remember Pete Wilson? He was not a big friend of my family, because um, when our children were born, at that time, 23 years ago, um, gay and lesbian families were not allowed to be parents together. And so they devised a plan where gay and lesbian families could co-adopt their own children so their children wouldn't be at risk in case something happened. In case a birth mother died, the adoptive parent um, wouldn't have to find their child in foster care. And so we went through this process, and I just want to remind you that this was only two decades ago, where gay and lesbian families would have to hire an attorney for $10,000, dollars $30,000. They had social workers that would come to our home and visit us to make sure we were going to be fit parents. Um, we had to visit therapists, 20 pages each of documentation that we had to fill out in order to become parents of our own children. Um, and then, at the very end of the whole process, the social worker would come back and write up whether or not to recommend if your children should be adopted by you. And every single social worker had to recommend against the adoption because of the governor, who said that gay and lesbians should not be able to adopt children in California. And then after that, you take that documentation in front of a judge, and the judge tells you whether you are legally a family. So we've come a long way since that story, because it's a lot different from LGBT families today, and we should take great pride in that, because I look around today and I see so many families that are burgeoning and blossoming in our community. The last 
story I want to tell you is actually about today. Um, this afternoon at about 3 o'clock, 250 beautiful children came off of buses safely and happily into the loving arms of their parents. It's a ritual that happens all over the country every summer when Jewish parents send their precious children off to camp. And when they return, it's a joyful, noisy, tear-filled, dirty, dusty, loving return. For some reason, long after my own children completed their time as Tawanga campers and now work as staff, and they don't take the bus, I still go to the bus. <laughs> I still go to the bus to see the return of our kids. Kids I named, kids whose B'nai Mitzvah I officiated at, parents whose weddings I did, some of whom were my own campers. Our kids. Our families. At the bus this year, a parent said, what are you really doing here? And I thought about it. I thought about why do I go to the bus every single summer when my own kids aren't getting off the bus? And I realized it. it's because I can. It's because seeing the dirty, beautiful, smiling faces of our children returning home safe and sound just makes me happy and relieved. Somehow it's the counterbalance to the images I have in my own mind of children who, in our tradition, never came home, children who were disappeared. One time in our history, a million of them. I know this is heavy to hear, but I realized that's why I continue to do it every year because I can, because it just makes me crazy happy to see Jewish parents and kids reunited in joyful embraces, hugging and kissing and crying. The kids are crying and the parents are crying. They've been gone for two or three weeks. Even the kids who have been gone for five days, when those buses roll in, parents are weeping and weeping as their children get, okay, they're Jewish parents, obviously. <laughs> but I cry too. I like to see those tears and I like to cry because it's a reminder to me of the preciousness with which we take our role as communal parents to all kids. All of our children are so precious. They're our village, our future tribal leaders, and we need to keep them all home safe and sound. But today with the arrival of the buses, I cried tears of a different kind. Today, as much as any Pride Weekend that I've celebrated since my first time here in San Francisco in 1988, 30 years ago, I cried different tears. I wasn't at the bus today. I just saw the pictures of the kids' faces, and I cried tears of deep, deep sorrow and joy. How did those kids getting off the bus get so lucky to be born here and now? Maisie, Moisha, Ben, please remember this time, remember this moment, and how blessed you are to be in the loving embrace of your mothers and fathers to know that you're going to go home with them tonight and that you're going to wake up with them tomorrow morning and that tomorrow this sacred space is still going to be here, a loving community who's going to embrace you right into adulthood. I want to end with a blessing for our children from the Shar Zahav prayer book, which Rabbi Rodich read last night when Rabbi Rodich and Cantor Addy and I were participating in the interfaith vigil at Grace Cathedral where hundreds of people came together to protest what is happening in this country. And I want you to know that we have heard from so many of you who have reached out to us and said, what can we do? Is the congregation doing anything? And there's two things that are happening. One is imminent. One of our um, congregants, our former board members, Abby Porth, is leading a very small delegation that is going to meet up at Brownsville, Texas, um, this Monday at the border. And 
I'm going to be leading a delegation on July 2nd and 3rd to San Diego, because we are also a border state, to work against the punishing programs that have already been implemented in Texas and Arizona, and to oppose our administration's treatment of those who are seeking asylum and refuge at our border. And so if you want to join me to take this trip and to bear witness and to protest July 2nd and 3rd, I invite you to come with us. You can talk to me after the service and there'll be more information about it. But I do want to share with you this blessing from a parent to a child from the Shar Zahav prayer book. You are beautiful. You are loved. May you always feel safe here in our home. You are the future created from all things past. You are the sunshine through the fog, the smile through the tears. You are my precious child. You are entirely your own person, an individual in this world, and how lucky I am to be your parent. Whether the past week brought joys or frustrations, whether the coming week brings many achievements or close to none at all, this is your home. This is your family. You are beautiful. You are loved. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom.